So my guest, Anne, is a human resources leader. Um, she's kind of known for developing new programs, training, improving employee retention, uh, retention and leadership performance. Um, lots of cool work she does with, with organizations. And, and ultimately, she does it because she wants to help employers realize the importance of building trust, respect, and recognition in the workplace. Because she thinks it'll make for a better employee experience, it'll make for better results for the organization, and ultimately, it's just a better way to approach life, I guess. So that's what Anne does. Um, but as with most of the guests I have on this show, the story behind why she does it, how she got here, and what makes her approach life the way she does is, is, is even more interesting to me. Um, she was like a lot of people initially, right? It's almost a cliche story. She was a successful workaholic. She lived in New York. She was kind of grinding, working to get ahead. And then as it almost always does, uh, life happened. She got laid off. She started to question really everything, you know, her approach to life how she treated relationships, her approach with work, what she valued. And she ultimately decided to pack up her things, uh, despite some people thinking she was crazy, and move to Montana. Because for her, she trusted that relationships, being in nature, open space, facing her fears, were far more important than the things she valued before. And that trust word, like that was the thread that I think ran throughout this discussion most, which makes sense because it was Anne's most important value that she started with. Um, so for, for, for Anne, like we talked about it, it's, 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 there's different levels to that trust. There's trusting other people, which is the most natural thing we think about, right? Putting your trust in others, having faith to kind of have healthy relationships. But there's also trusting the universe. There's trusting yourself. So there's lots of different aspects to it. And I think for Anne, you know, she thought, although there's risks, certainly, right? It does make you vulnerable. It does put you at risk. She thinks putting trust out into the world just leads to a much richer, more fulfilled life. And she's seen it work firsthand for her. So now she wants to help employers realize the power of it as well. And as we always do, you know, it's just the nature of the show. We spend some time challenging the idea of trust too, particularly when we talk about the workplace, right? It's very easy to think, yeah, employers should trust their employees more. They should show them more respect. They should do all these things. Um, but there is a very real fear that too much of that's going to lead to entitlement or laziness or a lack of productivity. And that's, again, that's not an unfounded fear. It's, there's some reality to that. So we talked about, you know, what's the right balance between trust and accountability? And at its very core, in a very philosophical way, it really comes down to perspective. There's Anne's perspective, which is, you know, willing to be optimistic about humanity and have faith that your trust in others will be rewarded. Or there's another perspective, which is trusting humanity is ultimately naive and it's going to get you burned. And it's kind of how you approach it. But, but Anne takes the view that it's somewhat self-fulfilling. If you take the optimistic approach, you will get positive results from it. If you take the negative approach, you'll get negative results and you'll get burned. So really interesting perspective, really interesting conversation. And big thanks to Anne for being on. All right, Anne, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you making the time. Excited to talk to you today. Um, I will go right to that first question of what's the value that's most important to you. Well, Terry, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And the value that's most important to me is trust. Mm. Mm. Um, I believe it's the foundation and cornerstone of absolutely every single relationship. And if you don't have trust, then you really can't build anything from there. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So there's an implication in that, I think, that trust assumes that relationships are kind of an integral, critical part of life. So trust makes relationships work. So I guess finish that thread for me. And relationships make, like, what is it about relationships that's so important that makes trust so important? Well, I think that the human condition is all about relationships and that we wouldn't have been able to survive as long as we have without building those relationships because one person can't do everything. Mm. And so for me, building that trust, it's having the... Well, there's a lot of different things that go into trust, but it is knowing that you can count on somebody to do something. Mm -hmm. It's knowing that they'll have the ability to do it. And so with that, it's the cornerstone of every relationship. It's we can't survive without relationships. Mm -hmm. It's even if you work at home, you're still interacting with a human in one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you and I are across the country and we're interacting. And so it's, I have an inherent trust in you that this is going to be a great conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I don't know that I've, I'm sure I have at some point, but I don't know that I've ever thought about it 
directly in the way of how much trust and faith kind of go hand in hand in some ways and in its purest form, not spiritual necessarily, but just the pure definition of faith. Like trust is kind of a leap of faith, like even this, right? There's a trust mm -hmm. that I'm not going to do something crazy or ask you some <laughs> ridiculous question or offend you in some, like there is in everything, there's this faith that it's going to work the way we hope it does. And it's funny because faith mm -hmm. is usually a tricky thing for me because I, I struggle with that. Like if, if we don't know for sure, you know, how, how can we trust? And, and maybe that's the question here. Like, how do you achieve true trust in somebody? Can you ever, is that just like, is it a spectrum where you try and get as much of it as you can, but you can never completely trust someone? Or do you think there is a way to develop like true trust in another individual? Oh, I believe absolutely that there's a way to develop true trust in somebody. Um, well, it starts with you trust your parents mm -hmm. and that is a true trust until it gets broken. Mm -hmm. So you trust your parents that they're going to raise you and give you the support and love that you need to be a successful human. Um, and, but beyond the parental child relationship, it's my focus in life is work. And so it's making the workplace better. And when you first start a job, you have the inherent trust that your manager is going to give you the respect that you need and deserve. They're going to give you support. They're going to give you communication. And so throughout all of that, I believe that somebody can, and it takes a long time to earn somebody's trust mm. if you don't go in with it blindly. Mm. I was um, going to ask you that. Do, do you think the right approach, and I'm, I'm sure it varies to some extent, but generalizing, do you think the right approach is to start off by trusting and then let it be proven wrong? Or is it to not trust and let it build up and be proved, okay, now I can trust you? That's a very interesting question because it's years ago, you know, I'm fresh out of college. I know absolutely everything. And so I don't trust anybody mm. and I, they need to earn my trust. And they do that by offering that communication and that respect and that support. But then I also, on the flip side, I expected everybody to trust me immediately. Mm. And so now as I get older and more wise, I don't know everything. And so it's, I do more, I do trust more blindly now mm. because it, it, has allowed me to build those strong relationships and I I'm able to build those relationships faster because we have that trust from the beginning and then it's since I'm starting my own business I expect people to trust me immediately and I'm learning they don't know me from anybody right. so why put all of their trust and support into me when they don't know me so it's learning to build that trust with others <laughs> such a fascinating thing. I mentioned we might get philosophical because I totally agree. I think the benefits, the value, even the necessity of trust in relationships with other humans, it's critical to, to everything we, we try and do. Mm -hmm. So we have to do it in some ways. But at the same time, there's so much risk. When it, there's such a vulnerability to saying to the approach you're taking as you got wiser that I am going to trust people more, even though maybe I don't have reason to. I know I should and it's better for us. How do you think about the risk part of it? How do you think about potentially getting burned when somebody breaks that trust? Is that just kind of the cost of doing business? Not to put it in a like a crass way, but is that just kind of how you think of it? Like that's going to happen, but net it out, we're better off still trusting? I believe that we're better off still trusting um, because for people inherently are good and that, yes, you're going to get burned and you may get scammed, but if you, the more that you, the more that I blindly trust anybody, the better off those relationships are. And I haven't burned, been burned as much when I didn't trust anybody and I, they had to earn it. They had to work hard. Then I didn't build as deep relationships. Mm -hmm. I didn't, and they weren't strong. And then I wasn't as vulnerable. So I had this chip on my shoulder. I was a cynic and it wasn't any fun. I realized mm. life is fun mm. and the, it's a lot easier when I, when I build those stronger relationships with that foundation of trust. Mm. It's almost like self-fulfilling. Like if mm -hmm. you trust, it's going to lead to more trust. It's going to lead to a better relationship. It's going to lead to them trusting you more. Whereas if you go in trying to protect yourself and you and you don't trust and you're skeptical and you then you're almost creating that bad relationship. 
yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then that person has to work harder and harder to build that relationship and then just give up. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's, I can come, I could come off as I was cold. I was unfeeling. I was Mm -hmm. harsh Mm -hmm. and I was not the life of the party. So Mm -hmm. who wants to be around that? Um, and I, I was a complete cynic and like, I questioned everything. I, Oh, it was, it was not fun. Hmm. <laughs> and so it's, I pushed back, I challenged and I still do that. Just not to the extent that I did, hmm. because I think that we still need that challenge. We need that pushback. We need people to question. Um, but I was doing it for everything. Hmm. And so my relationships sloughed off. Mm. It was really on the surface. We had just basic relationships, transactional to get what we needed. And then we moved on Mm. and having that trust now, again, able to build strong relationships. And for me, life is a little bit easier. Mm. Yeah. Bad things are going to happen. But it's a lot easier going through life with better, stronger relationships. Mm-hmm. Give me, maybe let's, let's set some context here. You mentioned a little bit kind of your past of maybe being less trusting, questioning more coming out of college, wh- wherever you want to take it. Like what, what has the evolution of you been? Where, where, was there a certain kind of approach you took to life with the lived experiences that pushed you in a certain direction and then you changed? Like what, what's the context of how you've evolved over time? So it's my life is work or it was work. And it's, I had to be successful. I had to climb that ladder. I would just go, go, go. And then I was laid off. Mm. And when I was laid off, it's my entire identity was destroyed. And, and that, but looking back in it, it's the best thing to ever happen to me because I was able to go out. It was very freeing. I, it's I'm a very visual person. And so as I visualized the chains were breaking off and I wasn't so bound by a schedule anymore. I wasn't bound by waking up, getting on the subway, going into work and doing the work thing and then doing it all over the next day. And so I was able to do, to do a lot of exploration, whether it was personal, what did I really want to do? Where did I want to do it? How did I want to do it? And then I decided to take off for a month, go to Europe, and that was very freeing. Mm. And seeing different perspectives, the meeting different people, and like really realizing that life is not all about work. Mm. That work is important, and we should enjoy what we do because we do spend so much time with it. But it's not the end all be all. Mm. And so it was all of that. But it also made me realize that vulnerability can add a lot. It's, I had to be vulnerable to travel by myself and come what may with those travels. And then coming back, I was a different person. And I realized that it was okay. So I didn't follow the direct career path as much anymore. I didn't have to climb that ladder. It's, I had all, I had a new freedom Mm. to see where life would take me. Mm. What was just to stick with it for a minute. What was, what do you think led to you the original path of like work is everything, keep climbing the ladder. And I can relate to that very much, by the way, was it just like for many of us, it's just, that's what society was. That's what, and even like parents, like they, they were doing a good job. Like, yeah, be successful, work hard. Be su- Was it just that? Or was there something else behind it, that drive to to achieve? That was a lot of it. And I didn't have, my parents were really great in that they wanted, they opened up a lot of doors and they never really pushed me. It was an internal drive to succeed, succeed, succeed. And it was not my own definition of success. It was what my was coming through externally. So every I was surrounded by people that were just go, go, go. And not realizing that, hey, I can be my own person. I can yeah. find my own path to success, yeah. my own path to happiness. It's such an interesting thing because 
like that's that makes so much sense like it, it sometimes it, it gets that that kind of story gets like this wrap around it of like there's something negative and, and not evil but there's something like malicious in that that like society or, or you were like so naive to it but it's like we're trying to live good lives like we want to be good people we want to have successful lives and that's just the general view of what it was so it makes so much sense that you would go down that path and try and do it like it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing it's rooted in a lot of goodness it's just realizing that oh, maybe it's not right for you you know mm -hmm. and you were down that path too sure yeah 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 very much so very much so and and very, i mean very similar story and i hear so many of the stories like that on here and again in the same vein it makes so much sense like we're all so different the world is so infinite in so many ways. There's so many options, so many things to do to think that such a huge chunk of the population is following a similar path. Like for some people, by all means, it's definitely right. It's exactly mm -hmm. what they should be doing. Exactly. But it seems so obvious that for other people, like, of course, it's not going to fit for everybody. And there's going to be so many people that have this similar story. And I think even that like acknowledgement of that, accepting it, like it wasn't something I did wrong. It wasn't something anybody pushed me towards in a malicious way. It's just, that's where the world was. And now I need to figure out my own path. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very much. so. It's almost in a way um, I think of it to go back to your value of trust. Like there's almost a trust in like the universe in the story that you're telling. Like I'm going to go try and figure out what I actually want to do. I'm going to travel by myself. I'm going to leave this corporate job and I'm going to trust that that's for the best and it's going to work out. So in some ways it comes back to that trust, just not in another individual necessarily, but the broader universe or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. And it was that trust and, you know, with the being laid off and it was, it was a shock to me, yeah. but it was also realizing I'm going to be okay yeah. is part of the human experience is picking yourself up and dusting yourself off and realizing that, you're going to be okay. So you just have to find your own way to be okay. And I think you to realize that, that you were going to be okay. Was that like a immediate thing where you're like, you, you had the perspective to be like, I'll figure this out. I'll be okay. Or did that take some time? Well, it's in the back of my mind. It was always there because it's, I always say I'm a Donovan. Donovans are tough, mm. um, but it took me a while to manifest it. Mm. So yeah, there was about, there was, some sitting on the couch and the dark and some tears and, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I knew always in the back of my mind, I just had to manifest it. And that took some time. Mm -hmm. so. How did you, how did you, how did you know? What was it that told you? Was it just that toughness of like, I'm tough enough to get through this or maybe back to that trusting the universe. Maybe there's a spirit spirituality component to it. Maybe it's something else, but like what gives you that optimism or gave you that assurance of like, I know this will work out. I have no idea, Terry. Mm. I it it's that trust in the universe yeah. Yeah. that you know it's I I woke up every day and most days the sun was shining and I was able to find my own schedule. I was able to go through the walk a walk in the park and I got back to the gym and it was just knowing that okay, I'm waking up and each day I put together more and more of a plan, more and more goals. And accomplished those throughout time and so it was a lot of it had to do with the sun was shining and i woke up every day and did you just for context i know you live out in montana now was that mm -hmm. where you were before or was that part of the change to be like i want to get freedom like because that's a space where there's lots of space there's nature were you coming from like a metro area and you and you moved out there yeah yeah so you went all mm -hmm. in that's what it was is i was in new york okay and <laughs> I love my eight and a half million neighbors and they're all fabulous <laughs> and the concrete jungle. And it was my daily walks through Central Park. It was, you know, with the green grass, it was, it, fall was just coming in. And so the bright colors and I realized I do need a little bit more space. And so I reached out to my high school ex, uh, my high school sweetheart. <laughs> and he'd been out in Montana for quite some time. And so he said, I asked him what he was up to and he said, well, just come visit. And so I came out to visit and we're pretty spoiled out here in Montana. It is unbelievable. Wide open spaces. It's called big sky country. Cause you can see the sky for miles and it's pretty hard to be upset and cynical when you're sitting on a river. 
and all around you is the river, the mountains, and land. So it gives you quite a bit of perspective in that setting. Yeah. Was and, there, um, I don't know, you know, family, whatever it might be, friends or whatever, maybe ex-colleagues, did anybody, I'm sure some must have been like, you're, you're crazy, Anne. Like, what yeah. are you doing? You're leaving New York and going, like, what are, you, what are we talking about? That's insane. <laughs> like, clearly you're breaking down. You're going through some sort of crisis. How, how did that play out? It was just like that. Yeah. So it's, I heard you're moving where? Where's that? Is that even in the U.S.? You're doing what? <laughs> and it was what I had to do. So as soon as I drove over the state line in Montana, I thought, this is it. And my perspective completely changed. I already knew I was going to be okay, but it was just that much more freeing. Mm. And telling, going back to and telling people that I was moving out here, there was a lot of, what are you doing? And it was just, I had to do it. So it's, I, we had telephones and texting and all of that. So I knew that we could stay in contact and I had to come find my life out in Montana. So I trust again. You trusted, despite what everybody's saying, you trusted that this is what's for me and this is something I need to go do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So trust is profound. Yeah, it it is. And and it's it's interesting. You know, we started more external trust. Then we went real external to the universe. But now we're talking about like an internal trust of yourself Mm -hmm. almost, that I trust that this is right for me and this is where I'm going. So it really Mm -hmm. is. It covers all of it in so many ways. Yeah. I love asking this question, um, particularly somebody like you, where you've you've gone through kind of that transformation evolution before you got laid off. Mm-hmm. Is there is there a conversation you could have had with your younger self? Is there something you could have watched, heard, whatever it is, to realize like this is where you were going to be at this point in life? Was that even in your mind a possibility? Or is this like you never could have imagined this is where you would be at this point? Never could have imagined. Never, right? Hmm. Never. It's I talk to my mom and she mentions not frequently, but she mentions it's remember that time that you told me you were never going to leave New York, that you loved it. And it's true. You never say never because I'm, I don't know where my path is going to take me. And I thought I was going to be in New York forever and climbing that ladder. And it wasn't so. (laughs) What lessons do you take from that though? Because that's what I find interesting. Like you go through that thought exercise to be like, I never could have imagined it. It wasn't even on my radar. I think of that often because I agree with that as I think about myself. Then I put myself in this moment right now and think, what about in the future? Like, what do I not know now that I'm going to realize in the future seems so obvious or something that I should have known or done? Do you think about that ever of like, what are the blind spots you have now to stuff about your life? Or do you feel like, no, I think I've got it pretty understood now. I understand what life is for me. Oh, I have no understanding of what life is for me. None whatsoever. And I I really, I'm sorry. I said, I love that, by the way. That's the approach I try and take too. Yeah. And to me, that's freeing because it's the, that one moment in time when my life changed completely, I realized I need to open my mind to all of the possibilities that can be out there and really take every experience in, take every conversation, every relationship into the fullest. Because again, don't know where that path is going to go. And to me, it's exciting and it's terrifying. And I love it. I'm having so much more fun now because I don't have this rigid plan of what I'm going to be doing or where I'm going to be going that I just go with it. Mm. I love it. I mean, there's, there's undoubtedly other people like you out there listening perhaps, or just walking around this earth who are similar, not everybody, but who are similar, but they're not there yet. You seem like a very humble person. So this may be a difficult question to answer, but like, what is it about you that you think allowed you to get there, to get to this place, to realize it, to get to Montana, whereas other people may never, they may go their whole lives, never actually taking that leap, having trust in the universe of themselves. Like, is there something special or unique? Is it luck? If you're being honest, like, what do you think it was that allowed you to actually get here? I love this question. Thanks, Terry. <laughs> the, um, for me, it was realizing what was holding me back 
mm. realizing the fear and as I mentioned before, it's I visualize a lot. So I saw this wall of fear that I had to jump over or break through. And I identifying fear, putting a name to it, and realizing that that's what's that that's what was holding me back. And once I could identify fear, whether it's fear of rejection, um, embarrassment, you know, judgment, embarrassment which can speak to, because it's coming on here, it's a fear, mm -hmm. but I really love listening to your podcast and what okay. you do and what your mission is. And so it's like, let's get over that fear. Mm -hmm. Let's sit down, have these conversations, trust in people that they're not out to harm you. Yes, some are, but for mm -hmm. the most part, they're not. And let's just see where life can go. So break through that fear, have a vulnerability and trust people. I'm going to press on it because I think it's so valuable because yeah. I think there's those same people walking that we just hypothetical people we were talking about before conceptually, they might hear that and be like, yeah, yeah, that is what I need to do. But to, I personally believe to actually face that fear, to look at mm -hmm. it, to examine it, to try and overcome it is, I mean, in many ways it, it feels impossible for a lot of people. Because mm -hmm. it, it's right there. Like, it's right on the border of impossible, I would argue, sometimes. Like, so take it a step further. Like, what allowed you to even do that? To be willing to face your fears, to look at them, to understand them, versus just conceptually knowing, like, yeah, I should do that, but I'm not because it's too hard. For me, it was the visualization. Like, seeing this wall visually in front of me and putting that name to it mm -hmm. and realizing I can do this the and a lot of it has to do with lack of confidence so can i break through my wall of fear how am i going to do it and knowing that other people around me are doing it all the time mm -hmm. so finding somebody to look up to or somebody to talk through it with what's holding me back and why am i not doing this and for me it was really that visualization exercise mm -hmm. and the fear of rejection, yeah, some people are going to be mean and say bad comments and all of that. But then there are so many other people out there that are supporting you and cheering you on and in your corner. And so you have to think about those people, have to think about what's beyond that wall. Success, right? However you define success. Yeah. And for me, that success was breaking through that wall, really pushing myself and challenging myself to either do better or do different there's such a part of um again to go back to the the trust and the faith it's almost like um to, to, to overcome that wall it's not the right word but i'll use it because it'll, it'll make the point like you almost have to have an irrationality about it you almost have to trust in in a way that you can't explain and have faith in a way that you can't explain that i can do this i can get through it it will be worth it it will work out because to your point the fear the wall the fear judgment, mm -hmm. the potential critics, because there are some of them out there, like all of that, the math is going to start to look like I, I can't do this. But that trust mm -hmm. is like the plug in the equation. And it's like, I can, no matter what happens, I can and I'll do it. And that's what makes it so fascinating to me, because in so many ways, like I think very logically, I think very mathematically, not literally, but like, I want to understand it, want to see it. But like trust is like, it's not negating that, but it's like, there's more to life than just that. You have to sometimes just trust in things and go with it. And to where you were before, it may not always work out in the short term. You may get burned in some ways. And let's be honest, there's certain people that it doesn't work out at all. Like it totally goes wrong and maybe something horrific, like horrific things do happen to people, but it's almost like a question of what, am I, am I okay with that risk? Like, I still want to go for it. I still want to try in some ways. Um, and I think that trust, that trust is what it keeps coming back to. Let's segue this to what you do now, the work you do now, um, heavy focus mm -hmm. on HR, trying to build better workplaces, connect those dots for me. I mean, I could, I could make some connections that are, seem obvious, but how does that, how does that fit into this overall life approach that you're taking? So I've been in human resources for most of my career. And I know that human resources gets a bad rap, but they're the principal's office. They're <laughs> filling whatever really is between the employees and the employer. And I always say that human resources is supposed to be Switzerland, yeah. that we should always do what's in the best interest of all. Yeah. 
And so I'm on a mission to change that perception. I, it comes down to caring for every employee and employees work and work and work and create, whether it's the products, the services, what for the employer. And I want to make the workplace better for everybody. So there's a, a poll out there that says that 73% of employee employees are disengaged, yeah. whether they're actively disengaged and the working to sabotage or not working at all, or they're what's now the quiet quitting and just doing the bare minimum. And to me, that number is shocking. I mean, 73% of people don't want to be at work. So let's change that. And how do we change that? And my focus is on the employee retention and creating a great employee experience. Mm -hmm. And so with that, going back to trust, we need to start building more trust in the workplace. Trust that our employer it wants to do the right thing and is trying to do the right thing. And trust that the employee wants to work and be productive and earn a good paycheck. And there's a lot of work that can go into creating all of that. What do you think, like, if trust is kind of at the core of that, which I think makes a lot of sense, what what broke that trust to get us to a point where 73% of employees aren't engaged at work? Like, is it is it something societal that changed, something in humans that changed? Or do you think it's always kind of been not great? The trust in the workplace hasn't been great. And this is we're just seeing it play out over time. I think that we're seeing it play out over time, but I have worked for some great employers and the trust was there, created a great employee experience. I woke up every day and could not wait to go into work and they created that environment that made productivity, high productivity really possible. And it was a motivating environment. It was supportive, communicative, respectful, and there was a lot of cheerleading. So when somebody does something great, you tell them, but we have a tendency to catch people when they're doing the wrong thing, mm. but not really recognize when they're doing the right thing. And we need to work on being better at that. Mm. So the, the thought being that like a key, not the only thing, but a key aspect of building trust in the workplace is, is that aspect of it is support, um, calling out the good things that people do cheerleading, as you said, I think that makes sense. I, I think, you know, having worked in the business world for a long time, it, it, it begs a, another philosophical question because it's like, if, if, if employers are being honest, what do they actually care about? Do they care about that and building that trust or do they care about just getting, you know, growth or whatever it is, a new product out, profitability, revenues. And I know there's a view, which I, I don't disagree with that. Those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can build, and maybe in many ways, if you build that trust and you have the right employee experience, you'll get more of that. Mm -hmm. But like, there's a decent amount of evidence that 73% seems suggested that for some reason, employers either don't believe that or it's not true because they don't do it nearly as much as they should. Is it just that it's hard to do? Is it that they're not convinced that it's actually more beneficial? Like, what do you think stopping them? Because if it's as obvious as it seems that that would be better for everybody, why don't we see more companies doing it? I look at it as a lack of knowledge, lack of education on if they did exhibit more of these behaviors of communication, support, respect, trust, that it would lead to more higher productivity and better revenues, growth, all of that. And I think that if we, and this is my mission, is to get out there and talk to the leaders in the organizations to start exhibiting these behaviors and i look at it as a from an aspect of turnover and turnover is when employees leave and then you have to replace them mm -hmm. which can be incredibly costly to organizations and to those organizations that speak bottom line or where are we being getting the revenues and the growth then the turnover had some say that it's two times as in somebody's annual salary or six times somebody's annual salary when you get, once you get up into the C-suite. And that can be costly. And so there are uh, different tactics and different methods 
so that it does affect the bottom line. You pay attention to people and you start caring about the employees, there's less turnover, which greatly impacts the revenues and the growth. What about the part? So I'll, a quick story that relates to this. Um, there, there was a senior executive I, I was working with once. We were on a it was a project that that they were leading, and it was a growth project. And in, in the midst of it, one one of the initiatives within the growth project, as as often is the case, was like employee engagement, employee experience. Like there was an understanding at a base level that that's important. Um, so the person that was responsible for that thread of it was trying to make the case very much like you are. Like we need to do more around morale and trust and respect and engagement. And the senior executive's response, who, who's a really talented senior executive, by the way, like not somebody that was incompetent or anything like that, was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. That all sounds good. But this is a growth program. It's not a happiness program. So like, let's make sure we keep focused on what we want to be. And I remember hearing that and thinking like, why would they say that? And and like, because I'm always trying to get to the root of like what's underneath it. And a hypothesis, at least that we have to consider, has to be that back to trust employers don't trust employees. Like, yeah, all else equal, I would gladly treat them well and all the employee engagement and morale and all the things. If you can guarantee me, we're going to get the growth and we're going to get the work done. But maybe it's human nature. I don't know. But like employers seem to have this view of like, but I can't trust that. So I need to control it more. And I need to be more focused on these other things and force employees to do what I want rather than to treat them well and just hope they'll do what I want. How do you think about that? Like, is there any truth to that? Or is that just truly like a misguided myth that people have that the more control I exert, the better off we'll be? I think that the more control I have, the better off we'll be is a myth. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of different motivation theories. And when it comes down to it, because essentially leaders are there to motivate their employees, right? or it's, I like the word inspire better mm. because your leaders can either really inspire the employees to do, go out there and do great work and do a lot of it. And, but they're there to motivate or the boss the leader can really drill down. And the only way that they do get something is by really beating that person down and you're, you will do this. They hold threats over them you're not going to get the raise, you may be fired. And then if that person feels threatened, what happens? Fight, flight, or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. And usually it's flight. So they'll go to another employer that doesn't beat them down or threaten them. And so it comes down to motivation theory, mm -hmm. which everyone you like to use, whether it's Maslow's or hygiene or what. And so that's where it is. And I don't think that the it's really the leaders. I think that the workplace is changing and it needs to continue to change. It needs to evolve. And we see it in a lot of organizations now where people, where organizations are playing to people's strengths and realizing that we have this job description, but let's carve some pieces out that this person can't do or won't do or isn't capable of doing, give those to somebody else who can, and then play to that person's strengths, give them those responsibilities that they really can thrive in. And then you'll see incredible growth. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this, the, the thread of trust runs through. I'm so glad you picked that value um, because there's, I, we may touch on this before, but there, there's also this thread and it's a big thing in society today of like, um, back to the entitlement point of like, I think a lot of employers, again, conceptually would hear that employers would hear that and say like, I get that, that makes sense. But like, what if it goes too far? Then like, what, what responsibility do the employees have? If I keep giving them and trying, all right, you don't like that part of work, we'll carve that out, we'll give it to somebody else. And it starts to feel like you're just you know, handholding them or coddling them in some way. And and I know what you're saying is like, we, why do we have to jump to that extreme? Just to treat them with respect doesn't mean you have to coddle them. But I think that's always a fear that's there too, that if I go too far, they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to exploit it. And there's some fear. There's a lack of trust in humanity, in human nature and employees that they'll do their part in this. Do you see that come up at all in the work that you do, that that's like a fear people have? Fear is a overriding factor in a lot of what we do. And yes, it's, well, it's a lack of trust. It's, it is fear and it's a, a need to control. 
So when employers trust their employees, they'll give up some of that control. Mm. And it's a lot of fun to see when organizations are okay with job crafting and giving certain responsibilities to employees and it's letting them write their own job descriptions that what the employee can do and how far they'll go. The I always think about when I moved out to Montana, it's winter, nine months out of the year, and highly recommended that some everybody has a winter sport. And so it's I picked up skiing and I just did it. And I had to get down those slopes. And I'll tell you what, I did not want to ski anymore. I stuck to my baby slopes. I was afraid of falling. I was petrified of falling really. And so with the skiing, it's, I could have given up. I could have been that employer that says, oh, I'm not going to play to your strengths. So we can train and train and train with somebody. And some people just aren't capable of picking up everything that we're putting down. Mm. And that's human limitations. I'm no good at skiing. I'm still skiing because it's a winter sport and it's mm-hmm. something to do, but is it really my strength? Mm. So it's like getting me into the physics lab. <laughs> <laughs> so you could train me on physics, but if I'm not picking up what you're putting down, then let's find something else that I can thrive in and be an absolute contributor to the organization. Mm. Mm. Do you feel like you see through the work you're doing, like a positive momentum and trajectory? Like I obviously you don't have the sample size of the whole entire world and every organization, but is your sense in working with leaders and working with organizations that they're starting to get it, that they they see the benefit and they're, and they're moving in the right direction? Are you, are you optimistic, I guess, ultimately? I am optimistic. Yeah. And well, COVID, I know, did a number on the workforce and we have fewer workers in the workforce now and organizations need to adapt to that. Uh, the workforce now is highly competitive. Where I am in Montana, unemployment is 2.7%. Mm. Full unemployment is considered at 4%. And so everybody in Montana has a job, wants a job, needs a job. And there's a lot that have two or three or four jobs. For those organizations that aren't looking at ways that they can adapt or ways that they can evolve, they're not getting the employees and they've had to cut hours. They've had to cut services. They're not producing as much. And I've, I'm optimistic that employers are seeing the need to adapt to the new workforce and the new worry, workplace. Do you worry that to where we were before the pendulum might swing to a point where, cause it's almost a power dynamic, right? For historically the employers had the power and they can kind of dictate and do it. Now they're being forced to everything you're saying, which is good. That's good stuff. They're being forced to recognize like, ooh, this should be more of a partnership. This should be more respect and, and openness in this. Do you have fear that employees may push that too far and it may become where they become the power dynamic shifts to their side and that becomes the problem? That's a really, that's a brain stumper, Terry. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's <laughs> the things I think about randomly. Well, it's, I, in an ideal world, there wouldn't be such a power struggle. Yeah, and yeah that's right. That, There'd be trust. There wouldn't need yes. to be a power struggle. There would be trust, yeah. Exactly. Employees would trust that their employers are paying them fairly competitively, that they're giving them the tools and resources that they need. And employers would trust that their employees are going to produce and have high morale and be great employees. And I, I'm optimistic that... The workforce is changing mm. and it's evolving and it is getting better. I'm optimistic that it's all going to be okay. Mm. Mm. So going back to years ago when I was sitting on my couch that it's all going to be okay mm. and we'll become a kinder, gentler world. I hope so. I hope so. So maybe I'll make this the last thread here um, and get real big philosophical to the point of the optimism, the belief it's going to be okay. You said before at one point when you're talking about trust, 
that you believe humans are are inherently good, like we want to do good. Um, why do you believe that? And, and I don't mean like, what's the evidence for that to be the case? I mean, if you think like, what is it that leads you to that, like to, to have that confidence that I trust humanity, I trust that we are we are good, because I, I, I want to believe that I think we're better off believing that. But sometimes I look at the world and I'm like, I don't know if that's true. It's possible that we're not. Maybe it's random. Maybe there's some good, some bad. Maybe we're inherently flawed and we're all kind of selfish in some ways, or maybe we're all good. What is it that allows you to believe in the goodness of it? Yes, we are all inherently flawed. We, but we can overcome that. And there are people that do overcome it. The because I see goodness every day and I have been practicing gratitude. It's wake up in the morning, write down everything, just do a brain dump. But the last thing I focus on is what is good in my life. And I look for the good out in the world. It's even somebody just holding the door open for the person behind them and the sun is shining, but practicing that gratitude really has helped me to see the greater good years ago it's i had a huge chip on my shoulder and everything was bad and awful mm -hmm. and i had heart high blood pressure i was tired all the time my health was not the best and i really believe that changing my focus has had a profound effect on my health and my outlook and there really is good in the world. Sometimes we just have to open our eyes to see it, but you're going to see it. So. All right. Last cynical, provocative question. And maybe the, the biggest, heaviest one. I think we think very much alike. So let me say that firstly. Usually when I ask these questions, it's because I really like what you're saying. And I think it's interesting for us to explore. And I think we have to look at it from all angles. Mm -hmm. So that view of, right, I, I do similar, I practice gratitude every day as well. I think there's a ton of value in that it kind of balances us out in some ways is, is my view of it, right? So do you think about it for you individually, that prior you that was high blood pressure and, and cynical and saw the negative, right? You saw all that and now you've shifted and, and mm -hmm. you're much better off. You're much healthier. You're much happier. You're in Montana now. You have more freedom. Your blood pressure is better. All those things are good. Do you ever worry that it's just that, like your life is better. Your viewing the world as positive has made your life better and more enjoyment, but the world is still as ugly as and, and as dark as it had ever been. And in some ways, and this is the provocative part, and I'll ask this for me as much as for you, I hope you appreciate it. Like, is there a selfishness in that? Is there a selfishness in that if I practice gratitude, if I just focus on the good, my life is better, but there's still so many people suffering. There's so many, even corporations, we're talking about business, doing so many ugly, horrible things in the world. Is that more of like a survival mechanism? Maybe selfishness isn't the right word, but a survival mechanism for us that's like, I can't swim in that. I can't live in the reality of what this world is. So I need to just focus on the positive so that I can survive and get through this and thrive and be happy. Um, it's a dark, cynical question. I get that. <laughs> but like, do you think about that at all? Do you ever wonder if that is at play at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah okay. It's a great question. Right. <laughs> yes. So yes, we are all... We have that innate instinct to survive and how am I going to survive and be the best I can be isn't for everybody else. And if I can change my own little corner of the world and bring better to it, then I'm going to do that because it's, I think it's better. And then there are those jerks and those assholes out there that mm -hmm. don't look at gratitude and all the goodness that it, there is and that's how they're surviving and that works for them but it doesn't work for me and so when i see those jerks and assholes i just walk in the other direction because i don't need that in my life yes yes is there an argument to be made and i'm not saying it's the right argument i'm, I'm not leading the witness i'm literally exploring it with you like those jerks those assholes who don't practice gratitude who say the world is terrible the world sucks that is it possible they're being honest though like we don't like to admit that because it's it's it doesn't seem right, but in some ways they're being more altruistic because they're willing to suffer because they recognize the world is as ugly as it is and it's as bad. Again, I'm not suggesting that's true, but is there anything to that? If that's how they're going to survive, that's for them. 
let them do that the it's but then don't don't bring it into my world and if you don't like my optimism then i'm not i won't bring it into your world mm. i may try to sit down and have a conversation and because I, I i love seeing different perspectives i like hearing from different people and i want to hear where they're coming from because it can only help me be better mm. it can help me open up my world and my eyes and educate me and but eventually maybe we have to agree to disagree and be okay with that mm. and if we're okay with that then we can cohabitate and if we're not okay with that then we just shake hands and walk away knowing that we tried to sit down and have a conversation and talk to each other mm. but it's okay to disagree and it's okay to walk away and it's it's all okay mm. I think you just illustrated, and maybe I'll end on this, um, the trust that you were talking about, like the trust in yourself and your own approach and view to life. Like, I'll listen, I'll hear it. I want to hear that other perspective, but inherently there's a deep trust in like, I know what is right for me and what approach I want to take to life. And that gives you the confidence and the openness to listen to other people because you do trust your approach and your philosophy, your values, et cetera. And I think that's a really cool illustration of that trust on the internal side. Um, so, and this is... Um, I say this way too often, but I mean it every time I say it. I love these. I really love these conversations. I think it's so fascinating to just spend time with a stranger, frankly, just understanding your perspective, how your life has evolved, how you see the world, getting to play with it, question it, you know, examine it a little bit. Um, it's it's super entertaining and fun for me. And I think it's nutrition for our soul to do this type of thing. So I can't thank you enough for for being on and doing it. Well, Terry, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoy what you do and hearing all the different conversations that you have. And I think that we can all learn from each other. So That's thank it. you so much for yeah. everything you do. Well said. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. It takes two to make it work. So thank you. All right. You have an awesome day. You too, Terry. Thank you. Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their toe in it a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day. Um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses. Or if you want to have a live one-on-one -on -one chat over Zoom, um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives. And I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. And I hope you have an awesome day.